Video recordings of this podcast can be found on RaisingEquity.org and Truth to Power on YouTube. Welcome to Raising Equity. I'm Kira Hudson-Banks, and today we are at Uzazi Village, and I'm really excited to sit down and speak with the founder, Hakima Tafunzi-Payne, and Uzazi Village, well, I'll let her tell you about it. It's an amazing space that centers black and brown mothers, babies, families, and it's so necessary given the disparities that we have in, term of, in terms of maternal child health. It gets its own organization. Mm-hmm. But yes, they are similar in that we both do maternal health work and we do partner on projects. Mm-hmm. And just the fact that you're focused on black women yes. is important, Yeah, I think. Oh, it is. It's critical. It is. And we're unabashed <laughs> about that. And that's essential because we haven't... And we've both taken heat for that. So this is our clinic. This is the Item A Clinic. Yeah, it was completed about two weeks ago, and it's not completely complete. Oh, that's we're still, exciting. We're still painting. We're still getting furniture delivered. But this is our lactation room. Mm-hmm. So um, we already had a breastfeeding clinic going. So we see breastfeeding moms. We have a run a walking clinic. We have lactation consultants and breastfeeding educators, and I'm a nurse. And so this is where we do all our breastfeeding magic in here. It's just a big concrete warehouse. Okay. And so I worked with the architects to design the space, mm-hmm. and then they just finished building it out. So a group had a meeting here, so all the doors are closed and locked because mm-hmm. they had toddlers. It was a little allegedly group. So that, that'll be exam room number one for prenatal care. What? This is... Yeah, it's beautiful. <clears throat> and I know love you come true, trust me. Just to come here oh, and run great. a infant loss support group oh, yeah. and a postpartum depression group. So we'll have both those groups. And then we have a family and marriage therapist. Yeah, and we do a lot of ritual, a lot of moon fires, Mm -hmm. full moon fires and things Mm -hmm. uh, around the fire pit. Mm -hmm. So earlier, this past fall, we had a trauma release ceremony around the fire pit, Mm -hmm. just for black women. We invited women who had trauma around birth or sexuality to come and release. So welcome. Thank you so much for meeting with me, Hakima. Thank you, Kira. Thanks for having me on your show. It's a real honor and a delight. And I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So I gave a little bit about Uzazi Village. Maybe you could tell folks about all the services that you offer and and help remind them why, right? Like why we need this race-specific space because of the disparities. So... Um, Uzazi Village is a sacred black space, and it is space that is dedicated um, in its focus on maternal infant health in the African American community because of the racially based disparities in perinatal health outcomes 
that we see in our community. So uh, the higher death rates for black infants, uh, higher rates of morbid morbidity and mortality for black mothers. Uh, those statistics are out there and they're touted a lot. And uh, we don't so much like to focus on those stats as we do focusing on solutions. So that's what we're about here. We're about supporting the village, creating a supportive village around the childbearing family and providing uh, culturally specific support around those families and services uh, that support those families. So to that end, to answer Kara's question, um, we do a lot of different things here. We have a few basic services. We have a clothing closet that's uh, open to the public a couple of days a month. Um, we have a diaper depot so folks can come and, and get diapers. They can get baby clothes. Uh, we have a limited amount of uh, baby furniture or supplies, things like strollers and car seats. And uh, we also offer services that folks may not know about as readily, uh, such as our breastfeeding clinic, uh, which most of the hospitals will refer women to our breastfeeding clinic and uh, other services such as our nursing bras. We, we have a, a nursing bra service. Uh, they're donated to us and we have bra fitters on our staff that can fit women uh, for nursing bras. Uh, we also have a plethora of classes, so all kinds of classes related to childbearing. Uh, we have our childbirth series. Uh, we're developing a culturally specific course for natural family planning that's uh, specific to African-American women. We, but otherwise we have breastfeeding classes, newborn care classes, uh, baby wearing classes. So um, you all really offer it all. <laughs> it, it seems like the focus, like you said, is not just on prenatal care, not just on labor and delivery and not just on postpartum, but across the spectrum. And, and that it sounds like you're focusing on supports postpartum. And before right. I, I hear you saying you don't want to, to just belabor the stats. And I think that's important because it's coming from a strengths based perspective to say yes. we can offer solutions. There are things we can do. Mm -hmm. And I also want to just highlight, I, I think sometimes people make the assumption that these outcomes are because of class or education. Well, they and do make that I, assumption. They do. And I just yes. want to make clear and, and reiterate that across socioeconomic status, education, black women are at increased risk for preterm labor, yes. for morbidity during labor and delivery. Yes. Um, their children are at increased risk for all sorts of difficulties that come along with being born early and right. preterm. Right. And I use myself as an example sometimes. I have a PhD. I have a lot of privilege. And I still, when I had my two children, was at that increased risk. Mm -hmm. So I just want to push that because people often think about it oh, as helping people who are less than or, <laughs> or you know, or, unfort have, or have unfortunate circumstances. No, this is something that, ha that has to do with race and the environment of racism that we have in our society and in our medical system. 
And uh, that's a stereotype that I have to push back against all the time. I do a lot of work in the community. Uh, once I step outside the, the doors of this sacred space and I'm working with hospitals and uh, other healthcare and social, social service related agencies in the community, uh, that's often a belief that I have to push through is to help people understand that no, this is not socioeconomic, uh, that it is racially based, um, and that, yes, uh, black women across the economic spectrum are uh, still affected uh, by these stats. And, and so we have to look at it through that lens. And I, I appreciate you taking that focus at Uzazi Village. That's something that, that excited me when I learned about your work. Because some people are scared and, and shy away from taking that race-focused, race-specific approach. And the reality is we've had these infant mortality rates and disparities and maternal disparities, maternal health disparities, and we haven't had a race-focused approach and we haven't improved <laughs> the stats. Right. So why not? Why not try a race-focused approach? And so I appreciate you being at the forefront of that work that can give other people the courage to step out and say... Yeah, when we see these disparities, we need to see race and be be focused on race-specific outcomes. Well, we absolutely must. You're using the right terminology. We must because, one, uh, this is not new. Uh, it's been this way for a very long time. Uh, and, in fact, not only is it not new, it's actually getting worse and when we don't take a racially based focus, uh, what happens is that our data, the data for uh, black mothers, black infants, gets lost in the aggregate data. And if you don't pull your data out by race, then you don't get a clear picture of what's going on. It's easy not to see the problem uh, because often in cities and a lot of places I travel to speak across the country, I always ask them, pull out your data. I want to see your local data. And if they aren't looking at their data properly, uh, it's easy to lose African-American mothers because often in a lot of places our population isn't big enough uh, to see what's happening. And if, uh, and if those uh, municipalities aren't looking at their data by race, then it's easy to miss the problem. Yes. Disaggregating uh, data by race is necessary. And, and it gets us beyond just having programs that address the disparities, but we start to then see, see the systems and how the outcomes vary yes. by the different And sometimes systems. even pulling it out by race isn't enough. Mm -hmm. You can't lump African-Americans in with foreign-born Africans. Right. Uh, and so you can't just even lump all black folks together. You still have to pull out African-Americans and look at their data separately. Well, and did you see there was some research to suggest that first generation, you need to make that difference. But mm -hmm. as people who are foreign born black come to the United States by the second generation, uh, yeah, their outcomes having, are, yeah, are just, as bad as just ours. As, which tells you something about Absolutely. socialization into this culture, right? Yeah. And that sort of tells the story. It does. So what have you learned in your work that other people need to know? What do you think other spaces that are concerned about maternal child health 
need to be doing differently? So there are a couple of things because I, I feel like I'm in a space right now. Uzazi Village is, is uh, six years old now, about to celebrate its uh, uh, sixth birthday. And uh, there are a couple of things I've learned. One, that we really need to focus on the postpartum uh, area that families, but specifically postpartum women, are largely abandoned after the birth of the baby, which is the time really where they need the greatest support. And uh, we're largely abandoning women in the postpartum uh, arena, and we're seeing a lot of women slip through the cracks, both with mental health, which is your area of expertise, uh, but also physical wear and tear. Uh, this is a time they're supposed to be recuperating from birth. A lot of people don't realize uh, my, my background is nursing. I'm an obstetrical nurse. It takes about a full two years to recover from childbirth, to fully recover. Yeah, you can be back on your feet and back to your normal activities in about two weeks, but it takes about two years for the body to reset, to, to go back to its pre-pregnancy state. And women are are really asked to sort of jump back into their normal lives without a decent or respectable recovery period, and that's not okay. I really appreciate you saying that because I felt that after having my children and ended up seeking out physical therapy, and it was extremely helpful. And I wondered why all women aren't referred why yeah. all women aren't <laughs> referred to physical therapy because your body goes through a lot. It does. And I appreciate you just sharing that. And it's important for people to hear that it takes time for your body to heal. It really does. And in our doula class, which I didn't mention, our biggest program here at Uzazi Village is our sister doula program. We run a community-based doula program that pairs childbearing families with our, our doulas. We train and uh, and then uh, support doulas to go out and work with families in the community. Uh, and when I'm training uh, my doulas, we put a lot of emphasis on the postpartum period that that the the care that they give, the home visits that they do, the following up, the checking on the mom, the taking meals to her, making sure that she has created a support system around herself, making sure that others are looking in on her. Uh, those kinds of practices are really important, making sure she has the resources she needs, that she can access the services she needs, uh, those and the breastfeeding support, just on and on and on. Uh, our sister doulas are trained to, to come around the family in the postpartum and to uh, keep providing support uh, in that period when, when everyone else sort of takes a step back. And I think it's important to highlight the postpartum doulas. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes when people, if people know about doulas, they think about them in terms of labor and delivery mm -hmm. and birthing. Right. And so to remind folks that they're folks who specialize in postpartum support. And so it's, it might be worth thinking about having a doula that either can be with you throughout and after, or if not, finding a postpartum doula. Uh, and that's so true. And people are act, uh, often puzzled and say, well, what does a po postpartum doula do? And they confuse it with the role of a nanny or a babysitter. But the postpartum doula actually isn't there for the infant. The postpartum doula is there for the, for the mother or the 
the new parents. Yes. And uh, she supports them in their role uh, and supports the healing and the recuperation uh, of the childbearing person. So um, the postpartum doula will assist with breastfeeding for sure, uh, make sure the mother's physical needs are met for rest and recuperation. Make sure that uh, there's meals available, good food available. Uh, um, that, again, that if there are services and resources needed, uh, that, that those are brought to bear. If uh, the mother needs a more supportive team around her, then uh, the doula can galvanize that support. She can um, navigate, help the mother navigate her way through uh, healthcare services if more healthcare services are needed, especially in the mental health arena. Because um, mental health in the postpartum period is often not attended to at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's an important position, yes. and so if if you don't have a village of women and, or people in your life that can do that, I would encourage people to seek out a postpartum doula. That's sole purpose is to focus, like you said, on the well being of the person who just gave birth. And our postpartum doulas have a lot of specialized knowledge and a lot of body care practices that have fallen by the wayside that are really important in in the postpartum period. Things like belly binding and mm. yoni steaming and uh, care of the lactating breasts, um, special massage techniques, uh, meditation, uh, the use of herbal remedies. There's all kinds of ways that the postpartum doula really jumps in and caretakes the postpartum body. No, what really a, mothers the mother. Really. Yeah. No. Mm -hmm. What about some of the things I remember hearing from my grandmother? Like, don't, don't walk up and down stairs <laughs> for so many weeks. Don't wash your hair for so much time. Like the, some of those things that that you hear were passed down from mother <laughs> to mother. So some of those may fall into the arena of old wives tale, mm -hmm. such as washing the, the hair. But uh, the up and down the stairs is really true. As a nurse, I admonish okay. folks on that one all the time. It, it really does, uh, it fatigues the body when the body should be resting. And it can, um, often when I see a resurgence of bleeding in a postpartum woman, when her bleeding is tapered off and then there's a resurgence of the bleeding, I, I almost always peg that she has stairs in her house because uh, she's up and down the stairs too much. Too much. Yep. Yeah. She's doing too much. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I want to also get a chance to talk about not only the great work that you're doing at Uzazi Village, but you're also tackling larger systemic problems. You're in medical schools trying to reshape medical education. I read that you were just invited to be a, a delegate at the birthing summit. Yes. Tell us about some of that so, systems level work that you're so doing. That, yes, that is my system level work. And it also answers your original question back to part two, part of the lessons learned. So uh, lessons learned in my six years of uh, working with Uzazi Village as its executive director is one, <laughs> more emphasis on the postpartum period. Two, we really need to do the systemic work around anti-racism in 
healthcare. And, and so that's why I set myself to do the, the systemic work. Yes, we need to work in community uh, and create safe community spaces. Yes, we need to work with individual families and, and bolster the capacity and the resources of individual families like we do with our sister doulas. Uh, so we work on that individual level, we work on that community level, but we also need to be working on that systems level. Uh, so we, to that end, um, uh, there is some national work that I do or regional work that I do. And that is uh, focused around anti-racism training. I am an anti-racism trainer. And the more I, I do this work around health disparities, the more I see anti-racism as an absolutely necessary element. We can do all the work we want on the back end uh, with healing modalities and focusing on healing people of their traumas, but if you don't move upstream and focus on what is causing the trauma, <laughs> you'll always be too busy <laughs> at the back end, you know, healing people who are hurting. Uh, and so that's, that's why I'm so committed to my systemic work in anti-racism, because that's the upstream work where I'm really focused at, at what's uh, at the core of these health disparities. Yeah, the root cause. Yes. Can you give a story, uh, give an example of, of how you saw, how you have seen racism impact uh, maternal or child health that might feel <laughs> abstract to some folks? Oh, so, so many ways. And I, and I get why it seems really abstract because we think of our our healthcare system is altruistic. It is not. It is a business. Uh, and we think of doctors and nurses as altruistic. And while I agree uh, there there is altruism there, they are humans. And, and as human beings, they are subject to um, some of the same uh, concerns that we all hold as members of this specific culture. And, and in American culture, uh, racism is highly enculturated and racial identity is highly enculturated. And uh, what I've learned as an anti-racism training is that implicit bias is a part and parcel of the human experience. Uh, it's not pointing fingers, it's not laying blame, that we all have implicit bias or unconscious biases. Uh, we all favor one group over another. Um, uh, we all have beliefs that we were socialized to have, whether we're aware of those beliefs and how they influence our actions or not. Um, and so the work that I do is really about heightening our awareness of our biases and how they manifest in the healthcare environment specifically. And so what I, what I tell folks is that you don't have to be a racist person to have a racist impact. And you see this a lot in healthcare because so much of the bias in healthcare is embedded in policy. So you don't have to, you know, be a doctor or nurse at home saying, hmm, I'm getting ready for work. Let's see who I can go oppress today. Uh, it doesn't quite work like that. It's not that folks have an intention 
to have a racist impact is that the policies in their workplace hold bias uh, that are going to have a negative impact on folks of color, particularly African-Americans. So my best example of that and how that works is uh, drug testing of pregnant individuals. So there are ways, if you so choose to drug test uh, pregnant individuals, there are ethical, there is an ethical way to do that. And that would be to drug test everyone to just across the board have a policy to drug test everyone who walks through your door. But hospitals never do it that way. <laughs> I've never seen a hospital do it that way. They, they drug test by criteria, and the bias is embedded in the criteria. So you don't have to be a racist person to have a racist impact in that, in that situation. You just have to be the healthcare provider employed by that facility that has a policy with biased criteria so that's disproportionately that testing. is disproportionately going to capture African Americans mm -hmm. because of the criteria that they use. Mm -hmm. And so it has nothing to do with your beliefs or, or what you're trying to do. You're just doing your job. You're just following the policy. So uh, sometimes that's referred to as racism without the racist. And healthcare is chock full of those. And, and so folks need to understand that that's a place for them to begin. Yes, they need to look at their own attitudes and, and examine their own personal biases, but they also need to very closely examine their policies and procedures in their facilities to see where the bias sneaks in mm -hmm. because it's in and through everything. Right. No, you're absolutely right. There's a, a both and, right? You talked yes. about unconscious bias and the research would suggest that we are most at risk of playing out our in-group biases. So yes. people who are like us. Right. And so that can come out in the medical, in medical care too. That yes. someone who's not like you, you might minimize their pain right. or not believe them, or you would give the benefit of the doubt to someone who's like you. Yes. And we yes. have these systems that create, like you said, criteria that end up disproportionately impacting black black bodies. Right. And so it's important for people to understand that it is a both and it, that this it is. conversation isn't just about fixing practitioners and caregivers. And it's about fix, it's, fixing systems too. Exactly. And I do have a, another example that mm -hmm. I use of the other of our own internalized biases. Um, uh, one of the things I, I do is supervise nursing students on maternity wards. So I don't work as a labor and delivery nurse myself anymore, uh, but I do accompany students as they go on the labor and delivery wards and, and take care of patients, and I supervise my students. And, uh, and on occasion, I have seen uh, African-American fathers uh, removed from the bedside of their laboring partners. And, and as I reflected on on this, I realized in my 20-year career, uh, being at the bedside in labor and delivery units all over my city, I've never seen a Caucasian father removed from a labor room. Uh, that there are implicit biases within the nurse that interpret uh, 
the tone of voice, the voice inflection, the voice volume of African-American males is threatening, even when it's not. And mm -hmm. that can be... Uh, uh, that can be a manifestation, absolutely a bias that leads them to feel threatened, call security, have folks removed. And even when I've seen the same behavior in Caucasian dads, I've never seen them removed from the laboring bedside. That's a really good example. I appreciate <laughs> you giving us kind of an inside look behind the statistics that we're hearing a lot about. Mm -hmm. I feel like the disparity data has gotten a lot of press lately, but we often don't hear the stories about how that manifests and what that looks like in care. Right. And, and that's one of the things I like to do, especially when I'm talking with hospital administrators and those higher level folks, and even with the clinicians themselves who are at the bedside, is to paint that picture of what bias looks like, because, you know, uh, it's not people calling people bad names. That's not what racism in healthcare looks like. It looks, to it looks totally normal. Mm -hmm. It looks like you doing your job. Mm -hmm. uh, it even looks like you being very devoted to your job mm -hmm. and doing it with great enthusiasm and passion. Uh, uh, it looks that way sometimes. So it, it's painting that picture of what it, what it looks like because I can readily recognize it when I see it and people are just calling it other things. Right, right. We could talk a lot longer about <laughs> all the amazing work that you're doing at Uzazi Village, but also the work that you're catalyzing in the systems that, mm -hmm. that impact the lives and bodies of mothers and babies and African-American women in particular. Uh, but I'm wondering if you can tell folks how, if they are moved by the work that you're doing, how can they support you? How can they support Uzazi Village? So if you're local to the Kansas City area, uh, you can come be a volunteer. We do our volunteer training first Saturday of every month. So we have lots of volunteers at Uzazi Village. A lot of folks want to get involved in what we do. Uh, we have student interns every semester. They come from local institutions, but they come from across the country, too. Um, uh, it's not easy to get uh, maternal infant health specific uh, African-American maternal infant health specific uh, experience, if you, that's what you're looking for. So we take internships. Otherwise, our uh, volunteers are involved uh, in just our day-to-day -day operations. They work in our clothing closet. They work in our clinic. Um, we also, if you're not uh, in the local area, we appreciate our supporters and our donors who... Um, uh, donate funds, who do Facebook fundraisers for us, who look at our online wish list and send items that we need for our space, um, who come visit us. Folks are welcome to come visit us and get a tour and hear the spiel. Uh, so we just, we love the input. Uh, we interact with folks a lot on social media. Um, we post a lot of pictures of all our events, of all our goings-ons. Uh, so we just invite folks to be involved in whatever level they feel led to do so. Uh, we always welcome donations, but uh, recently it was MLK Day, and we had a, a, a day of service and opened our doors, and about 30 members from our community came, folks who lived right in the neighborhood, folks who were former um, 
recipients of our service, staff members, but also folks who lived in the far-flung suburbs. So it was a real mix uh, of individuals who came and served us that day and painted and cleaned and organized and moved furniture, and it was a great day. So folks serve us in all kinds of ways, and we welcome uh, those uh, near and far to come visit us, send a donation, or send us something on our wish list. And I just want to say I took a tour of the facilities and the space is beautiful. It's a place that I can feel cares about the people, the families, the women, the babies that come through the doors and uh, beautiful, beautiful space inside and out. They have a, a garden and a meditation space. Um, so I encourage you to check them out. The website is uzazivillage.org. Is that right? That is correct. Okay, good, good. <laughs> uh, so thank you all for joining us on Raising Equity, where we try to think deeply and critically about issues of equity and identity. And today our focus has been on Uzazi Village that centers the care of Black mothers and babies and families. So thanks for joining me on Raising Equity.